was an interesting exercise to try and control myself. I started writing short stories, essentially in an enormous strop. I really wish I hadn't read that story. I found it very disturbing. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Waterstones podcast. I'm Will Rycroft and in this episode we're going to be enjoying the charms of the short form. Stories features Zadie Smith on her discovery of short stories and why they appeal to her so much. We'll also hear from debut writer Julia Armfield about how stories helped liberate her from the constraints of the novel and why genre is such fun to play with. And in the studio, we're joined by another debut author using stories to make her mark. It is a great pleasure to welcome Naomi Ishiguru. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my God, an absolute pleasure. Uh, Holly is here too, of course. Welcome, Holly. Hello. Are you a fan of the short story? I am, absolutely. I like the contrast in tone, I think, when you find a collection of them by the same author and seeing that variation of what is going to be coming next and tone and theme. So I think it's really exciting. Do you remember the first story you read, like the first short story where you went, ooh, this is different? It was probably while I was a child, to be honest. Well, because this is it. So I, I think there are quite a lot of short well I mean children are used to reading short mm. fiction yeah cause... yeah fairy tales and folk tales yeah and, yeah, and just all like children's storybooks yeah I, I want books. my hat back we come across that no it's I don't picture flat book it's great I think it's is it John Classen I don't know yes. perfect short story yeah, yeah. really yeah mm. great structure it's yeah it's just one whole book but obviously it takes mm. an adult about 30 seconds to read well two minutes <laughs> 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 yeah highly recommend it's for you isn't it because I think mm. when I I remember reading novels from quite a young age mm. and then having to I guess educate myself about short stories when I was yeah. much uh, a mm. much older reader mm. and I think probably like a lot of UK readers I started reading American short stories yeah um so I remember reading the whole collected Cheever short stories, which if you've ever seen that's it on the shelf, enormous. is a big, yeah, that's thick huge. book. Yeah. But, but actually, he's he's brilliant. Mm, yeah. And of course, once you read one that's brilliant, you go, mm. oh, I'll read a bit more, a bit more. Yeah. And I devoured that. Then I did Russians. So I did oh, Chekhov. Well, yeah. And mm. then I did a kind of collection of Russian short stories. And then what I quite like about short stories mm. is that often if you go to different regions of the world, they mm. have their own kind of style of story. Yeah, like different conventions and things yeah. like that. Yeah, because yeah, there are, I mean, some places are kind of, you can imagine telling the story as well. Like it's sort of, I don't know, it's roughly of the length that you could potentially imagine telling someone. I don't know. It's like more <laughs> of like an oral form, I guess. I no, I guess, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't know. Also like um, just creative writing courses and journals and stuff in America, I feel like have created a whole world around that but I'm sure Zadie Smith will talk about that later she, well you're right she, Zadie Smith will be <laughs> much more competently later. than I will because so. of course she traverses yeah. this boundary of mm. living in the States and, and yeah. in the UK and, and we have very different traditions mm. with the short story mm. Absolutely. she will tell us more later yeah. uh, but Naomi let's talk about you because mm. Escape Roots is your debut yep. it's your debut debut but it's debut also it's your anything. debut story collection yep. mm. can you tell us a little bit about what the collection sort of contains thematically maybe or how those stories might be connected so they're nine stories um they're all kind of around the themes of entrapment and flight um so all the characters kind of get uh they sort of find themselves in in sort of traps of their own making psychological traps or literal traps or just kind of situations where they can't seem to find a way out um and i guess the stories are about uh them sort of finding outlets and escape routes and sort of 
I don't know, forcing their ways out of that in unconventional ways. Um, there's three that connect um, in terms of like characters and plot. So there's one towards the beginning of the collection, one towards the middle and one towards the end. Um, they're all, they're slightly sort of magical realist, I'd say. They're set in kind of a quirky kingdom with like a rat catcher and a king um, and uh, the king's sort of uh, very damaged sister. And um, yeah, uh, and then all the other ones are set sort of in the, in the normal world um, and they all sort of play on the same kind of themes. Um, yeah, I like to think of it, I sort of try to structure it as a pretentious thing to say, but a bit like an album, I guess, where oh, you're like okay. looking at track listing and that kind of thing. So hopefully it hangs coherently together. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it does, but I tried. <laughs> I tried really hard. <laughs> I think it's interesting. So you mentioned there about rat catchers, so there are these yeah. three stories, beginning, middle and yeah. the end. And did you always know that you were going to write those three stories set in the same place? Or mm. was it simply a case of you started writing the one and that led on to the other two? Um, well, I actually wanted to write a whole collection, like set, so it'd be a bit more like a novel. And I sort of, I was I was doing the course at UEA, the, the MFA, um, it's an MA again now, but it was a two year version. So I could spend the second year just mainly writing and I was supervised. So it was great. So my plan was to write a whole collection of these kind of things and then end in the sort of same place that I do and just have other quirky characters around the palace. But then um, it is a bit, it's a bit odd. And uh, I did have a sort of teacher that wasn't so on board with them in the second year. And it made me sort of like throw them away for a while and work on other things, which was actually quite good thing for like my learning experience and I went back to having the original teacher that had helped me with them and I sort of went back and then wrote them so it kind of it was literally just to do with uh, it's all very early days it yeah. was it was just to do with what was happening to me at the time on the course um but I actually quite like that I didn't just make them all in the same world because it's kind of well I learned a lot sort of setting things in the real world and it sort of I don't know I think it varies the tone a little bit um I love writers like George Saunders and, yeah. and people like that that sort of managed to tread between sort of wacky magical realism and sort of more literary realism and, and sort of, yeah, I don't want to be like a pure like fantasy writer. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm quite glad it worked out that way. It's, well, it's interesting you mentioned George Saunders because he he often does that thing mm. that you do, which is he, he'll take a aspect of modern living mm. and sort of take it to, to a degree where he can really play with it yeah. and do something interesting with it. Mm. And I always wonder with something like that, did the idea come from simply going, oh, I'm going to write a story about what it's like to be trapped in a loveless marriage or whatever. Mm. Uh, or did he have the sort of idea of what was going to appear in the story immediately and kind of go, oh, that's kind of about that, I realise now. What, oh, how does it work which with way you? around? Um, oh, it's a bit chicken and egg. Yeah, I, <laughs> I suppose so. I think it varies. I mean, often, oh, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, I think I remember seeing it reading like a Neil Gaiman piece where he just says like sometimes it, it you sort of start with different things each time and, and the most sort of helpful in a way is is that you it was if you can see the end and you know the end point and you can just sort of aim for it and just kind of try and get there and as often you don't you end up somewhere completely different but it's just that sense sort of the nicest trajectory almost um yeah, so I don't know. I think it varies depending from story to story. I think the bear one, there's a story about a bear and a sort of fairly, well, it's not loveless marriage, but just terrible marriage. Um, and, um, <laughs> I really liked that one. You love that one. Yeah, yeah. I love that one too. I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad. Um, my friend, I literally I saw my friend who's a bookseller at Mr. B's Emporium where he used to work yesterday. And he was like, I'm, I really wish I hadn't read that story. I found it very disturbing. 
I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> but hopefully for good reasons. Yeah, in the best um, way. Yeah. In the best way. I think yeah. it was meant in the best way. Um, but yeah, I actually was staying with a friend who was doing a writer's retreat. Um, I say writer's retreat. It was just a few of us who claimed to be writers. Um, none of us published at the time. Um, just having a retreat. And it was at, um, just like her aunt's house, I think. And there was a giant, like there was this giant stuffed bear in the house. I just found it so weird that I just ended up writing this thing. It just literally, I just saw the bear. So that the bear came first. The bear came <laughs> yeah, first. Okay, that's really first. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and this this recurring theme, if you like, for the collection, this idea of escape. Mm. Where did that come from? Was that, uh, you know, as I said, did you sort of realise at the outset that that was kind of what you wanted to write about? Or did you realise after writing a series of stories that they had this commonality, this thing linking? I think a bit of both, actually. Like, I, I start, I wasn't, I didn't set out to, like, write a collection. I was just sort of at university in London and I just started writing stories. Um, and the first few came then. And then I think it was more just like where I was in my life. Like I was, I grew up in London. I was always just in London. I went to uni in London and London can just feel a bit like a trap yeah. a lot of the time. And then I just left. I was just like, I've had it. <laughs> I moved to Bath and um, just got a job out there. For, like literally knew nobody, but I was just like, I just want something different. Um, and I think, so it was obviously something that was very much, so the early ones that I wrote, which was like the flat roof and shearing seats and stuff. I didn't really have like a theme in mind. And then, yeah, yeah when I started, I went to UBA and decided to, be a bit more serious about structuring a collection I think I sort of traced the theme and then sort of the other ones like the rat catcher and all of that the traps and things that was a bit more conscious I'd say yeah um yeah I don't know yeah so <laughs> yeah. there's a story uh, of anyone who does live or work in London there's a story in there which is um caffeine fueled shall we say oh yeah which, which certainly struck a chord with me I was like yeah. yep I know that feeling <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um and I noticed that, again, in terms of recurring themes, and it's sort of they're on the cover and they appear in a few stories as well, lots of birds. And I guess mm. that links to this idea of, of escape and yeah. sort of taking flight. Mm. You actually, I think you said that when you were introducing them, sort of this idea of flight away from mm. something. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, I think I'm a bit worried. It's a bit like trite and corny. And I feel like, birds, freedom. Especially <laughs> as like, I started writing. Yeah, it just shows how much I needed to escape London and just what a tr- psychological, linguistic, like trap London actually is. I was writing The Flat Roof. It was before I like really ever left London, apart from like to go on holiday to Cornwall or whatever. And um I was just talking about birds the whole time. I was like, oh yeah, the birds on the roof. And I, I read it back when I'd been in Bath for like two months. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't actually specify what type of birds. <laughs> like, obviously there are different types of birds in the world. Most people reading it would be like, were they pigeons? Were they seagulls? It was like, obviously a pigeon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what well, is London? But yeah, I think I just, it didn't even occur to me. It's a question that wasn't just like bird. Like that was one like type of thing. Um, so yeah, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, beyond that, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just like birds. I think they're quite cool. They travel internationally, but don't worry about borders. Um, it's yeah. true. This is very true. <laughs> and then in terms of, I mean, as you say, you're sort of studying writing at university. Mm. And when I speak to writers, particularly writers of short fiction, they always are very clear about the writers that have influenced them. Mm. And I think, weirdly, with short stories, they can be far more influential in terms of shaping your taste or what you think yeah. a short story can do. Whereas novels tend to be a slightly more not homogenous but you know there's sort of mm. there's a creativity at work in short stories which has much more variety are there any writers who really help shape your 
sort of beginnings as a writer yourself? Oh, George Saunders, definitely. Yeah. Um, definitely, there's a story called 10th of December that is just amazing. It's the last one in the collection, 10th of December. And I kind of almost sort of used that as a as a frame, lot of framework, but I was kind of, I, one of the stories is like kind of, it's such a pretentious thing to say, like, a, like, a, like an answer story. Um, I was kind of just like, it came out of a supervision and I handed in some terrible work and um, my supervisor was like, why do you always try and do something completely different? Like, just just copy someone. That's what everyone else does and learn from that. And I was like, oh, okay. And then sort of started doing, uh, I just started thinking about um, if I was to try and write that story, how would it turn out? Um, which I it was see, quite helpful. Okay. So like a sort of um, response to that story. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, or you just sort of think, I don't know, I was just thinking around the themes. I don't want to give too much away about that story because it's so amazing. But basically somebody makes a choice um, that's an incredible, humane choice in a George Saunders kind of way. And I was just kind of, I, I, I don't know, I sort of had the fear of being like, well, what happens if you don't make that choice? What yeah. happens if you fail? <laughs> and yeah. decided to write a story about that. So I think that was sort of how it, how it came about. And mm. Holly, what you, you mentioned re, sort of reading some favourite stories recently. Who, who are the writers that have excited you? Uh, my favourite short story is probably a Roald Dahl. Ooh. I think it's called Lamb to the Slaughter. Okay. Are you familiar with it? No. I think so. Am I? I, I yeah, I so love the stories. So it's about a woman who I believe she's pregnant and her husband comes home from work one day breaks in bad news to her and she thinks, God, I've just had enough of him. So she picks up the leg of lamb that she was going to cook for him for his dinner, whacks him over the head with it, kills him, goes out to the supermarket as she would to get the potatoes and the peas and the cheesecake to go with the leg of lamb, gets home, puts it in the oven, calls the police to say, oh gosh, I've got home from the supermarket and my husband's been killed. They come round to obviously investigate it. They're looking for the weapon that was used in the crime. She then says, oh, are you hungry? Should I serve you some dinner? And serves them the leg of lamb that she's killed her husband with. I have heard of that story. I've I've forgotten it completely. That's amazing. Yeah. Just say like sly, like it's yeah. very sly. We should say mm. that this is probably not a very good alibi to have if you're planning to commit murder <laughs> nowadays, because everyone's yeah. read the story, so maybe yes, exactly. get yeah, a bit more inventive with a it. A vegan option, yeah. Look in the oven first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the vegan meatloaf. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find it really hard to think of sort of favorite short stories, but one writer who I discovered through reading short stories and who I then went on to read loads of and love is Dennis Johnson, who's an American writer who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. But he's got a collection called Jesus's Son, which is one of the best story collections I've ever read. They're actually linked stories, so it's not really a novel, but it is the same character who recurs throughout them. And they are funny and brash mm. and uh, sort of corrosive. They just He's an amazing, amazing writer. The main character is called Fuckhead. He's a complete <laughs> fuck-up. Uh, and it's just... It's made into a film, actually, which is quite a good film. It's got Billy Crudup and a very early performance from Jack Black. Um, and who else is in it? Samantha Morton. It's a completely, completely bonkers film. But yeah, brilliant collection if you want. So when did he to... write the collection? Was it oh, quite I was. Early? I want to say sort of nineteen ninety one, maybe. Sure. That's a complete mm. guess. Yeah, but... if that turns out to be right, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to give myself yeah. a medal okay. later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So yeah. Definitely mm. in the previous century. Yeah. Um, so mm. we're going to hear from uh, another author now, uh, an author who I think you know we know as being a very established novelist, Sadie Smith. Uh, but actually, with the publication of Grand Union last year, we got to read her very first collection of short stories, and a lot of reviewers were struck by the virtuosity of what was on display in that collection. When I spoke to her, I asked her first about how a life split between the US and the UK had given her a very different perspective on short stories. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, two very different cultures there, and she has a very good idea of how they both work. I mean, I'm 43 now, and my memory as a kid 
was that short stories didn't exist as a literary form in England. I mean, everyone had a set of Somerset Maugham, 400 volume set of Somerset Maugham, <laughs> but nothing else. I don't remember thinking about short stories. I never read them. I read only novels. I mean, novellas sometimes, children's short stories, but I don't remember them ever being taken particularly seriously. And the first time I started noticing them, perhaps when Amos was writing them, and that, I think, was him under an American influence, thinking about Bella or thinking about Roth. But it's not a mystery. There's just nowhere to publish them. There mm. never was, and there still isn't, really. There's Granter, and I suppose there's the White Review now. And But um, in America, there's extraordinary breadth of journals, like obviously the famous ones, but in every university town, there's a serious journal. Even when the newspapers collapsed, the journals stayed. So... That's the major difference, I think. And when I went to America, um, I think when I, I think I wrote a non-fiction piece for the New Yorker, and then they talked about stories, and I, I really didn't know how to write them. I'd never really written them. Maybe I wrote two stories before I wrote White Teeth, you know. And that's a very English writer to think that the thing you do is write a novel instead of stories. So I started reading a lot of American stories and um, really being astounded at the skill and the level of experiment, you know, from people like George Saunders and then going back to Grace Paley or Donald Barthelm, you know, these are kind of standard parts of the American canon. But I reckon if you show a lot of those stories to an English reader, they'd find them, <laughs> I don't know, surreal or very tricksy or we're still a little bit stuck in this Somerset Maugham idea of a well-made story, you know, or an O. Henry story, which the Americans themselves left behind. And, and we never really had a Hemingway here, really. You have someone like Forster, I love Forster, who writes these rambling short stories, but they're very long, right? And most of them are like novels that, that have been squished. And all my short stories when I started were just little novels and often really very long. Um, and then I guess I started teaching and my students all aspire, not only aspire to short stories, but consider it really the height of the form, you know. And novels is a slightly the class A way of, of making a living, I think. For them, there's a kind of real honour in the great story. And there are classic stories that students pass around that they're obsessed with. And I think the only story that I'd really loved as a child was Ivan Ilyevich, a Tolstoy, which again is not, it's more of a novella now than a short story. Um, so it, yeah, for me, it was just about seeing this American tradition and getting interested like in black short stories as well, like African-American short stories, some incredible stuff, the Zorino Hurston stuff, which are more like uh, like the ones from the 20s and 30s have an almost like folktale feel to them. All of that stuff was very inspiring. And then it just became the idea of, can I, can I try and do this? It's very against a lot of my instincts, which would certainly lengthen many characters and lots of, you know, stuff. But I thought it was an interesting exercise to try and control myself. <laughs> yeah. You can have a, you can do things that are more interesting, but it's not an abstract thing. When I say to a student, "This would be good at six pages, but would never work for a hundred, that's not, that's not a practical matter. It's also a kind of an aesthetic matter. It, it's serious. Um, you can't. Uh, the mind can sometimes cope with experiment in a short form that it would find it hard to tolerate at great length, and that's an integral part of your decisions about what goes short, what goes long. and um, But yeah, for someone who's used to being stuck in one place for at least two years and sometimes, you know, seven, <laughs> a short story feels um, 
outrageously pleasurable, apart from anything else, and a little mischievous, and um, and, and very, I suppose, very suited to my kind of ambivalence about being in, in one place, you know. I do like to move, obviously, physically, in terms of where I've lived, and, um, and mentally, I like trying to uh, occupy different mental spaces, and stories give you the possibility of being in a lot of places at the same time. I think each story is a way of uh, demanding a certain amount of freedom and irresponsibility, I suppose. To me, narrative is fundamentally irresponsible in the sense of it's not a, it's not the work of citizenship. It's not, you know, located in a in a single place. It's very promiscuous writing. I wrote the book. That's true, but I didn't just write the book, did I? Many writers wrote this book over the whole history of literature. All their voices are in there. Um, and authorship, as it's usually considered by Waterstones or anywhere else, obviously it's an economic thing. I, it's my book and I sell it. But writers know, or I think writers are honest, that that's not really how writing works. It, authorship is shared across so many people. And it's like a huge pool that you kind of draw out from. And whatever originality you have is tiny compared to how much is shared, in my view. Um, so I, I, when I'm writing a story, I'm just trying to uh, like suck up another bit of that lake or free myself into another area and not feel bound or anxious or, or responsible to my you know, self. Like There's probably a certain kind of story that Zadie Smith should write, but I, can't, I, I, find, I find it very uncomfortable thinking about uh, writing as a branded thing or as a consistent thing. Or at least it just bores me, I suppose. Naomi, I feel like you and Zadie are sort of twins there. You had great <laughs> wish. Sort of ways of connecting there. George Saunders came up. Uh, this yeah, idea George of Saunders. responding to other mm. writers came up. I found that yeah. really interesting. Because mm. a few other writers I've spoken to have said that to pretend that you are inventing something mm. brand new is, is a bit sort of ridiculous. And you have to realise mm. that what you're doing is you are echoing and responding to other writers' work. Yeah, definitely. I think it's like it goes a lot better if you stop trying to think, like kid yourself that you're reinventing the wheel as well. If you're like, I have to, I'm going to in my like writing laboratory. It's just never gonna, never gonna work. And it's nicer to accept that, yeah, you are writing kind of in response to all your favourite writers. Um, definitely. Mm. She, she was talking there as well yeah. about how she had obviously always thought of herself as a as a novelist mm. and had to sort of learn yeah. about how to write short stories. For you as a writer, when you're, you know, sit down in front of a blank piece of paper, are you thinking about the form initially or are you, I suppose, particularly at the beginning of your writing career, just simply starting with an idea and seeing where it goes? Do you like to leave leave it open-ended? Um, I'd say like one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given um, when I was like, I'm still starting out, but when I was starting out um, is like when Zadie Smith, she talks about um, like, how short stories are great because you can always be in motion and move from thing to thing very quickly and um, the sort of novel equivalent is being stuck in the same place for two to seven years mm. um, I think some of the best pieces of advice I think it was just like an Ian McEwan like event I went to and I think he said this um, it's just like start small I'm sorry if it isn't Ian McEwan and I'm like <laughs> I'm putting words in his mouth but I think it's just a great thing and um, start like deliberately start with shorter ideas um, just so that you don't because it's just such a 
such a huge amount of effort, I think, um, just spending like, yeah, like seven years writing a novel. And I know people that have done it, but like, if it's the first time you do it, probably it will go wrong and you'll probably have to throw it away. And it's like, are you gonna find it in yourself to to do it again after that? Probably not. So I think I, I very deliberately was just like, let's just start with stories because then I can throw them away more easily. And I don't know, you can develop quicker, I think. Um, yeah. Definitely. That actually is going to lead us very neatly on to the next author that we're going to hear from. Mm. You'll find out why in a second. Um, Julia Armfield actually won the White Reviews Short Story Prize in 2018 with a really striking story called The Great Awake, which later appeared in her debut collection, which is called Salt Slow. Now, when I spoke to her, I asked her first about how her love for stories had begun. And then we looked at some of the recurring themes in her story collection and indeed in a sort of new wave of female writers work recently. On a very personal level, I started writing short stories essentially in an enormous strop because I was trying to write a novel. I've been trying to write a novel since I was seven and it had never really panned out for me at all. And so I started writing short stories entirely as just a, a means whereby by which to get some validation because I could write the short story I could send the short story somewhere I could be validated purely to myself in as much as having actually completed something and also people could read it and I wouldn't have to explain everything else and for me just by very virtue of doing that I found that this was actually the thing I was good at much more so than writing a novel which is great because now I'm trying to write a novel so <laughs> it feels like slightly a betrayal to the medium that I have decided I'm quite good at but it's it was Purely for me, it's the thing when anybody actually asks me whether I have any advice at all about writing short stories. It always comes part and parcel for me of short stories are about finishing, short stories are about validation, short stories are about when you are done with it, don't edit it to pieces, just send it somewhere. And then if you might not place it, you might not win anything, but you can think about that later. And I just think for me, it was a lot of it was to do with the process. And by virtue of that, I found myself able to tell the stories that I wanted to tell as well in a much easier way because I write genre or I write a literary equivalent of genre. I don't really like genre snobbery at all. I write what I write, but I found that I wanted to write things that concentrated on a turn or a mood or something that required enough of the reader's suspension of disbelief that I could affect it very well over a short period and probably would have messed it up over a long period. So finding that I wanted to do the medium then allowed me to actually make my storytelling better. And so the whole thing sort of rolled, I think. Chronologically, um, and this wasn't intentional, but the first one in the collection Mantis was the first one I wrote, actually. And I think a lot of that can be seen throughout the rest of it because it doesn't read necessarily as a mission statement, but there is certainly a, an enormous amount of what you find the rest of the way throughout the collection I think is present in that story it's about women and adolescence and changing and bodies and the monstrous and something the monstrous as being something internal rather than something external the monstrous is not the hand of God the monstrous is not something that's coming from outside it is the thing that is already inside you and the thing that is taking over you and I think that is a theme which is prevalent and rolls the entire way throughout the rest of the collection in some form or another absolutely uh, it's interesting that story because as you say it brings up a lot of the themes that are consistent in the collection and I think consistent as well with what I see as a really booming area of short story writing at the moment amongst female writers who are exploring what it means to be a woman mm. uh, actually becoming a woman and so much of it focused on the female body mm, yeah why is that do you think such a ripe area for, for writing and particularly for writing short fiction 
I don't know necessarily. I think a lot of it for me, because you're completely right, that is going, that's, you know, Carmen Maria Mercado and Sarah Hall and Daisy Johnson. And so much for me, the any preoccupation I have comes from the things that I read. And so the more something is in vogue, so to speak, the more something will continue to roll. But I think that I'm not sure why the bodily is something which comes up so often. I think that heaven forfend I say anything in a hashtag me too thing because I hate when people ask that question it's like how much is what you write actually like forced forwards by me too and it's like it's I don't think that you can argue that any one thing is just that that is not the catalyst of anything but it's certainly true that we are all writing in a very particular mood right now we are writing in a culture in which we women we as women our bodies are and have always been in some sense under attack, but I think the awareness of that is so particular now. And the way I find that I write is I'm just, I'm very interested in the way that bodies can kind of contain and betray us, and specifically the way that being a woman is so, it's so connected to the body in so many different ways. And also like, I can't remember, it's, I can't remember the specific line, but there's a line in the second series of Fleabag. So again, something that's very, very in vogue at the moment, when they say that, um, uh, it's something about pain as being escapable and that pain as women is our physical destinies. And I find that cropping up in a lot of the things that I write and a lot of the things that I like to read as well. I wonder, what is it about the short form that you love? What is the, the, what's the real appeal about sitting down to write a short story? I think, obviously, the thing that everyone will say, the immediacy, the, the fact that you can focus down on one specific thing. And for me, the fact that you can ask people to just believe whatever you're going to say for 10 minutes and then you're done. But I think as well, the fact that you are writing about something which someone is almost certainly going to read in one go. And therefore, I think everything about a short story can be more impactful, more ridiculous, more more genre, more, more horrific. And you're not going to leave people with the same sour taste in their mouths, I think, if something is just relentless for 400 pages. So I don't know, for me, it's like, it's like a shot rather than a long drink. And it's going to smack you for about five seconds, but then you'll probably be fine. So I don't know, I just love it. It's better. (laughs) Most of the time, what happens, and I put a lot of this down to the fact that I read a lot, but I watch more movies. I'm very, I'm, I'm completely obsessed with movies. I'm completely obsessed with the visual, the visual way of writing. I think a lot of the time in almost all of these stories, what has happened is that an image or a scene has popped into my head. So in The Great Awake, which I think is the second or third second, I think, story in the collection, there is a scene where, in brief, what has happened is that everybody's sleeps have sort of stepped out of their body and manifested as sort of humanoid spectres. And there's a scene in the story where um, everybody's sleeps are taking up all the spaces on the train and all the people have to stand next to the doors and stuff. And that image just came into my head and thought, oh, that's fun. What would happen around that? And a lot of the time that's what happens. Things will kind of blossom out of an image or a picture or something I've seen in a film that I would like to invoke or a tone or something like that. So I'm not very plotty, which again is proving wonderful when trying to write a novel, but (laughs) it's fine. I'd like to do like a Sarah Hall, you know, she does like, she does sort of a novel and then she does a short story collection and then a novel and a short story collection and everyone thinks she's great. So that would be good. (laughs) 
Nomi, you were agreeing so hard listening to that. The yeah. head was nodding. I think you found a lot that you agreed with there. Yeah, definitely. She's just so entertaining to listen to as well. It's just like, it's just such a, such a brilliant way to put everything. And yeah, she's obviously having a huge, huge amount of fun with language. Um, but yeah, m- mainly I was just nodding at the um, the idea that you can get anyone to do anything for about 10 minutes. The yeah. whole like, yeah, it's suspension of disbelief. Like the idea that it isn't relentless. You can be like, oh, this crazy thing's happening. Or like this insane, annoying, relentless voice is going on. But it's kind of, but people say, oh, it's a tour de force it's virtuosic if it's like three pages but if it's 400 people just throw it away so yeah I, I completely agree with that um, but so many things yeah definitely um, yeah and that problem if you love writing short stories as well and the industry kind of definitely wants you to write novels so um, that's kind of always a yeah when you're sort of looking at models for a career um, yeah yeah. it's mm. a weird thing is that we do definitely still have a novelistic culture mm. in the UK yeah and we also we're, we're also kind of obsessed with the new I guess and so mm. everyone wants to discover their and I think the, the idea that everyone has a novel in them so often yeah. people's first novels can be great because they are fresh and they contain everything they've been thinking about for the last 20 yeah. years or whatever and then the the second one is hard you know and mm. as we've been hearing from the various writers we listen to actually novel writing is hard because of the the scope that you're playing with yeah. to sustain something people mm. keep talking about this sustaining of, yeah. of a character or an idea or whatever it might be over that number of pages is yeah. so much and that harder. amount of your life as well I think like <laughs> you can be like fascinated by like especially when you're quite young and things are changing a lot you can be fascinated by a certain concept or idea if you're, if you're writing politically as well everything changes so quickly in this country at the moment or in all of the world you're fascinated by idea for about sort of six months and then like everything changes like mm. you move on in your life like there's an election everything completely like reshuffles and suddenly you're sort of furious about something else or and the the thing you're writing you're just like well what's what was the point in this but you're only 60 pages in so you've got to somehow <laughs> sustain it um, <laughs> and it's like oh or you throw it away and you start again and yeah it's just sort of because you live with it for such a long time um yeah it's novels are a marathon i think there's a bit of that for the reader as well mm. i suppose if mm. you're used to uh i find that if there's a novel that you're loving you can of course read it from cover to cover and it's no problem yeah if it's if you're struggling with it sometimes it's very easy to put it down and then feel intimidated about picking it up again yeah. but of course mm. particularly for those people who travel to work or whatever short stories are perfect for mm. dropping into yeah. it'll cover your journey mm. and then you can read something completely different on the way home mm. which is why i'm always slightly surprised that stories aren't more popular because there's plenty yeah. of people who are traveling yeah. You know, to I think and with from the commute places. thing, it's just a bit difficult because you have to. I never start books on commutes because it's sort of like you have to. There's a sort of a degree of like imaginative energy to like yeah. go with the author and jump into a new thing. I think when you start reading a new, a new novel or each new short story, and I think that's why people like them when they interconnect because it's sort of less. You're still in the same world. It's the same voice. It's the same themes. Mm. Sometimes the same characters. So even if the plot starts again, you can sort of you have something to hold on to because it's quite disorientating to just jump into a new imaginative world. And I think a lot of people um, from when I was a bookseller sort of asking them why they didn't read short stories I think had that sort of issue because um, if you're just jumping on a train and you're like zombie and it's 6am <laughs> you're not going to be like making that huge kind of wrench to get yourself out of one reality and into another and learn all the new rules and it's kind of nicer just to dip into something that's familiar and it's mm. there and it's consistent um, like a novel um, so I can totally understand that um, there is yeah. that thing as well of course it's not people aren't just reading 
well, in fact, they're not just reading on the train anymore, are they? Of course, mm. you look across a, a tube platform now, and so many people have got mobile phones in their yeah. hands now, and I'm afraid to say they're not often reading. They're yeah. candy crushing or Netflixing or whatever <laughs> yeah. it might be. Yeah, or just compulsively like checking their emails, which is what I do, and writing to-do lists that don't need to be written. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they're addictive things. Put off the to-do list, pick mm. up a story. I mean, I, mm. I say that, and uh, yeah, at the same time, equally, you can look up and look across the train, and you can still see so many people reading physical mm. books mm. often reading classics you know yeah, you kind of go amazing. this is mm. not quite the dying form that people would like to make out sometimes no, i think there's loads of new ways as well like because I, I don't know if short stories are that that suited to a commute for that that reason and i often just kind of stare into space like i'm not um you know i'm definitely not like an intellectual commuter um but like <laughs> i don't know like short stories like the new yorker fiction podcast and uh, like yeah that you can sort of do like audio because of the length they're sort of mm. that you can do them and the bbc have like a short story thing mm-hmm. um which is pretty cool and they like, I don't know there's just got to be and like journals like the stinging fly like we don't have that many in the UK but yeah. like that's amazing and there's like a whole new like world of Irish writing there um, I don't know there's just there's got to be like different I love like the American things like the New Yorker and stuff like that mm. and they just have short fiction in there with like discursive mm. articles or whatever like that's so cool um, yeah so like I think there's got to be ways of finding because yeah lots of people you speak to now and like like evenings like and the moth isn't it's real life stories but people love that and that's like actual um like live events as well that they do so yeah i don't know but other other ways to have short stories in our lives because people do love them they certainly do there's Mm. lots out there we've obviously we've spoken about a few different authors through the course of this conversation it's time now to head to our booksellers to hear what they might recommend they may be stories they may not but certainly inspired by the word stories Hi, this is Katrina from Glasgow. My recommendation on the topic of stories is Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajibrenya. It's the first short story collection I've ever finished and I loved how weird and wild the stories were. They have a black mirror slash inside number nine vibe where they're both exploring potential future horrors and quite poignant social commentary all in one. Hi, I'm Martha from Sheffield and since asking any bookseller to narrow down a recommendation on stories to just one book is impossibly hard, I'm going to cheat by recommending a series of novels, Elizabeth Jane Howard's Cazalet Sequence. Intertwining stories across generations, they are witty, engrossing and one of my go-to comfort reads. Hi, I'm Gabby from Birmingham and the book that I'd like to recommend based on stories is Difficult Women by Roxane Gay. Uh, which is my favourite short story collection out of the 21 stories in it. There's not a story that I didn't love and it details the lives of lots of different kinds of women who are all flawed and complex but fully realised. So there we go. Some lovely recommendations there from our booksellers. Naomi, thank you so much for coming in to join us for this podcast. Thank you so much. It's been great. It's been an absolute pleasure. In our next episode, we're going to look at the special bond that is motherhood, with Giovanna Fletcher telling us about her experiences as a young working mum and Maggie O'Farrell on connecting with Anne Hathaway in her latest novel. We'll see you then.